I went to a person who is older. It was my grandmother. She's 87. And I asked her advice on life. Her advice was to just love, love everyone. She wakes up every morning. She prays. But she goes, it doesn't matter if you pray. All you have to do is do good in your life. Be mm -hmm. kind to others. She knows I don't pray. I don't go to church. And she does it every morning for like two hours. It doesn't matter if you pray. What matters is if you're a good person and you do good. So I take that grandmother wisdom and I know that every day, if I can do something good, if I can be kind to myself or be kind to someone else, then that's, that's what it's all about. doesn't matter. Bank account, you know, career success, none of it matters. Welcome to today's episode of Unleash Thyself. I am your host, Constantine Moroon, and with me today I have Sanita Alves. Sanita is an engineer by trade that has found a way to follow her heart and help people find peace and harmony in work and life. She is also a published author and a coach. Prepare yourself for an unforgettable conversation that should leave a lasting impression. Welcome back to Unleash Thyself, the podcast that inspires and empowers you to unleash your full potential. I am thrilled to welcome Sanita Alves to the show. Sanita, we can't wait to hear more about the experiences and insights that have led you to where you are today. And your unleashed moment, the moment you knew you are on your own path to becoming the best version of yourself. So without further ado, I'll pass it over to you. Oh, thanks, Constantine. Um, so happy to be a guest here today. So the unleash moment for myself, there there were a few that um, I think unleash means finding freedom, finding peace. And there was definitely a big moment in 2018 that I will share. But if you don't mind, I'll I probably need to share a few things, just a short history of some of Absolutely. these moments. Yeah, so I'm an engineer in the tech center in Canada. I work as a consultant project manager. And I got into the engineering space kind of interestingly. I had an intervention. My parents had an intervention for me when I was choosing my university program because I wasn't choosing medicine. I had decided after being groomed to be a doctor my entire life that I wanted to be an engineer. And they sort of brought two uncles and they had a sit down with me and they said, are you sure you don't want to be a doctor? Well, if you, if you don't want to be a doctor, what about being a lawyer? And, and if you don't want to be a lawyer, what about a dentist? And I was like, no, I want to be an engineer. I want to work with people and teams. And they were like, okay, all right, you, you're going to be an engineer. <laughs> My parents are very loving and they, they had set these high bars for, for me to be going into medicine, but they were extremely supportive once they knew I was set on being an engineer. And I entered this world as a woman in tech, you know, very happy to be part of the scene and wanting to work with teens and just get things done, right? I didn't want to do research. I didn't want to just see one patient at a time. I wanted to do projects. And uh, I had a great career, I would say, for the first 10 years. And then I think with motherhood, something sort of cracked open in my spirit. I started to see things a little bit differently. Like I remember going back to work and being much more sensitive to the vibe of my coworkers. Like 
Are they, you know, upset by work? Are they happy? Are they happy to be part of my project? I always cared about people, but it took on a different dimension, I think, with motherhood. And I, and I had two girls two years apart. So I think my first Unleash moment came through a dream. I woke up at, I think, a roughly three in the morning, and I had this such a lucid feeling that I was outside of the earth. And there was this voice, this spirit, and it was saying, Sayida, you have to pour love out. And I just remember that I just felt like I had to have love pour out of my heart. And I was looking down on earth and I saw these lights leaving the planet. And this nonverbal instruction was send as much love as you can to them. And it was, it was absolutely beautiful, but I was tired. Like I was doing work as if I was running on a treadmill, like it was a workout because I was doing the work of love. And anyway, I, I just remember waking up for a brief moment, looking at the clock and I was like, okay, I go back to sleep because it was just a beautiful dream. But the next morning I woke up and saw on the news that there was the tsunami in Japan. I think this was, you know, 2011 and I really feel that I had a spiritual moment there out of body and, and those lights leaving the planet were the souls. Yeah. And I don't know if it's true, but inside, I think it's true. Right. Yeah, I mean, you, you're <laughs> the only one that knows the experience, right? And it, if it makes it through, absolutely. Like to be honest, the entire time listening to you, it gave me chills yeah. just hearing that, that story because it's, it's so in, I don't know, like what I believe in is very similar to what you believe in, right? Like pouring out love and, and leading from a place of love because we're all the same at the very end of the day, right? We're here to better ourselves, but also through the betterment of everyone around us. And literally, you know, just still have the chills a bit. It's like such a, such a, an inspiring story, but please continue. Yeah. 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 So I think I told like one other person about that. I don't even think I told my husband because it was like, just so woo woo. I was like, I don't know what to do mm -hmm. with this. I, I'm a mom of two and I'm an engineer and I'm going to work, right? I have parked no. it. And then um, another, uh, maybe not unleash moment, but certainly an awakening moment, maybe it was unleashing because I was sort of tuning into reality, was going to my oldest daughter's grade three, you know, school opening house in the first week okay. of school. You go and they, they show off their projects and things to you. And she had a little booklet all about me. And when I looked through her booklet, there was one little piece of her booklet that says, I don't like when mommy yells at me. And it was a picture of me standing over at her with the, these lines coming out of my mouth onto little her and she's crying. And that was the moment I thought, am I living my life right? Am I doing the right things? Because if I'm stressed out at work and I'm bringing that home what's the point of having this family like I'm here for these kids right so that really made me think about mm -hmm. my values and I said I have to be a more caring and, and compassionate mom at home and that led mm -hmm. me down to this whole journey of coaching and saying how can I, I learned about emotional intelligence so now I'm learning about these sort of psychology side of things, even though I'm a technical project manager and sort of opened up this other avenue. So, and I think going down that path, like sort of saying, yes, I need to be better. I need to be a better person personally, right? It can't just be about career. 
that opened up, I think, this other path into coaching, which led to mindfulness. And um, I think another huge unleash moment was taking my very first yoga class. So I'd never taken yoga, signed up for a Groupon and went to hot yoga. And it was a flow class. It was like an advanced class. And I'd never been. So I'm in the hot yoga. It's like 110 degrees. Yes. I'm doing the yoga. And at the end, I'm like, I, I, you know, you have to pay attention when you're not familiar with something. So I think I just, my mind just went offline. So the very last pose, which is called Shavasana, or corpse pose, you know, I lay there, I was so happy. And I was just like, well, what just happened to me? And then when I drove after there, I drove to my parents. I had this, I had this like, moment where I melted and I just merged with everything, like the trees, the grass, the road, mm -hmm. the car, there was no separation. And I felt like I could even connect to the insects in the ground. And it was winter. Like it was, mm -hmm. it, you know, and I was in this state of euphoria, like I just love everyone. Like it, it, it would be what I would imagine if I took psychedelics or something. It was, it was, exactly. but it was all natural, I think, because it was, it was such an abrupt change for me to put my mind offline and yeah. sink into my body in the present moment. Like I'd never done before in my life. No, I've done, I've done yoga a few times in my yeah. life. And I've done hot yoga a few times. Yeah. But I never, at the time, I wasn't really into mindfulness and meditation. Yeah. But it almost sounds like your experience was, that of meditation, right? Like you maybe yeah. were able to meditate in a different way and that allowed you to, to touch a different part of yourself that you weren't aware of at the time. And yeah, yeah I, that's, that's amazing. Yeah. And so what happened? What happened next? How did, like that must have thrown you for another loop, right? Because yeah. you're still not in your journey yet. No, <laughs> I remember thinking, okay, how, how can I live my life? Like who's going to do laundry? Who's going to cook? food who's going to pick up the kids if i'm in this complete state of happiness where i was just like floating around i wasn't thinking there was no sunita there was no other we were just all one and i remember you know i came out of it after maybe 2 hours and uh you know i i distinctly remember i got to my parents house and they were sort of at, having an argument with my brother and i was like it's so weird that you're arguing because you're just the same person. Like I was completely out there. Like, it doesn't make any sense. Like you can't be angry at somebody when you're the same person as them. Right. Anyway, it faded away and I, you know, got back to the task of everyday living and I parked it just like the, the dream and, and whatnot. And anyway, so almost, I if I, if I can interject here for a second, yeah. it's almost like the universe has been, it was trying to send you messages. And it's like, okay, let's try this yeah. message. Just said this message. And you're like, Beautiful. Let's park it for now, but I'm sure it culminates into something beautiful right after. <laughs> yes, yes. And then I think this journey opened up a lot of, because I am trained in math and engineering and all of this, you're trained mm -hmm. to think with logic, right? If you yes. can't prove it, if there's no evidence, it it doesn't matter. So, exactly. right. So as I, as I went into, I decided to go into life coaching, continuing this journey. And I trained with Martha Beck. And she teaches the work of Byron Katie. She also teaches about body scans and mindfulness and becoming yeah. into your body, right? So now I learned how to trust my body, listen to my body's intelligence. Because remember, up to now, I'm like my head's intelligence, right? Yes. My, my mind's intelligence. Now I'm like, okay, my body is, I think, a little bit more intelligent than my mind. It always knows the truth. And the work of Byron Katie, it, it, she teaches you how to question your own thoughts. So when I have a thought and I believe that thought, 
if I follow the the four questions she has, I can actually see the the that my thought is not real. And once you can do that, oh my gosh, Constantin, you can release so many beliefs. And her thing is one belief at a time. So if I had the belief that I had the belief I can't be a coach because I'm an engineer, people will laugh at me. Okay. Right. So you can imagine technical person. Yeah. I have these degrees and now I'm going to become a life coach. And I thought, okay, people are going to laugh at me. So we went through and questioned those beliefs and I was able to drop them. And that's only one. Like there were beliefs like I have to do everything. I don't have time to take care of myself. So can you walk us through like an example of what questions you have to ask yourself to get to the yeah. right answer? Yeah. So she has a website called thework.com and many YouTube videos. So I will not do her justice. <laughs> But the four questions are, so I have a thought, you know, no one will take me seriously if I'm a life coach. So the first okay. thing is to identify your thought. And, you know, that's a mindfulness thing right there. Because yes. we have all these thoughts, but when you actually have to put it into one, right. you have to choose the right words, right? And so my thought is no one will take me seriously if I'm a life coach. And then the first question is, is it true? Okay. And I might say, yeah, yeah, it's true. Because I, I had the thought, right? Yeah. Most people will say, yes, it's true. And then the next question is, can you absolutely know it's true? So now I bring in my scientist hat, right? Can we absolutely know anything is true? I, I studied mm -hmm. quantum physics at university, so I know the answer to that is no. <laughs> you can't know a particle's you know, location exactly. and speed at the same time. So I'm like, okay, I can't absolutely know it's true. But many people will say, yes, I absolutely know it's true. And then um, the third question is, who are you when you have that thought? And the fourth question is, who are you when you don't have that thought? And you go through a meditation and you answer those questions. And then you turn the thought around. So just to, to fast forward, the opposite of this thought, people will laugh at me if I'm a life coach, is people will respect me if I'm a life coach. And you say, could that be true? And you can feel the truth of that. I think part of spirituality is knowing when you hear the truth. And when you hear something false, right? If you're connected to your spirituality, I can immediately see people will laugh at me if they think I'm a life coach is a false thought. I can immediately see it. Yes. And I like, can feel it in my body that people will respect me. You know, I think you can feel it even across the exactly. uh, airwaves so here, like, right? Almost like for me, the way it feels right now, and I wonder if it's the same for you. Like when you say you feel it, it's like, for me, it feels like it's coming from my heart, yeah. from my gut versus from my mind. Yes. You so feel like, your whole body versus yes, just the yes. neck up, right? Yes, so absolutely. that's the beauty of this work. And I think these every time I did these four questions and I followed her process to turn it around, and you have to find three examples so to really cement it into your mind. Like people will respect me and you'll be like, oh, yeah, my, my cousin said it's really cool if you're a life coach. So she didn't laugh at me, right? So you find three pieces of evidence. And then you are unleashing yourself from these thoughts that keep you small and dim your light. And you start to replace them with thoughts that make you big and, and connect you to others. And that's, so, I can relate to this so much, even though I, I, I have never heard about this approach. Yeah. And it sounds amazing. And it sounds like something that can really help someone, you know, just it's another tool. Use it and yes. see if it works for you. But like when I started this idea of the podcast, and especially earlier this year in January, I'll have an amazing conversation with a friend and I'll share my idea and they wouldn't laugh. They wouldn't think it's stupid. They would actually 
be impressed and be like, oh, this is amazing. Yeah. But then at night I would doubt myself. I'm like, you know what? I have a math background. I'm a consultant in, in the real world, right? Why would anyone want to listen to me? And it's yes. that idea, right? Coming back and saying, no, people would actually, because I'm getting yeah. all this feedback. So it's kind of working with yourself. But it sounds like the model you explained, it's even better because it actually makes you actively think about those, that scenario, putting it in words. So you know exactly what the feeling yeah. is you're fighting with and then kind of reverse engineering almost, right? Like, yes. Like, Hey, at the bottom of it, does it make sense? I, I really like that. I really like that approach. It is. And, and it, it's sorry, that you write it and that she also has an app. So it's just, you just can't think it like I just told it to you. You would actually write it out. And there's something about the act of writing that just sinks it in more. Sorry to interrupt exactly. you. Exactly. No, yeah. because people are usually visual. You know, a lot of people are visual, right? So by writing it out, also you have to think about it more, right? And maybe even if you did it afterwards to yourself, it's just more ways to let it sink in. But I was going to ask you, you know, you've gone through that. When, when did you say you started that the first time? Was it know, how many been, years ago? The dream about pouring love was 2011. And then the same, I think later that same year, I saw my daughter's picture. And then 2012 is when I did the yoga. In 2013, I went into life coaching. Okay, and same So it was very quick. Yeah. And then that is like um, doing the work and these turnarounds on my thoughts. I would call them like micro unleashing. Yes, like, like little, like little twists. Like if you were tweaking, you know, a car or something, you just turn the wrench a little here and a little there, and before you know it, you start running better. Your so let me ask you follow up question then. So around twenty thirteen, about ten years ago, you start doing these exercises where you're challenging your thoughts so yeah. you can see if they're true or not. Now, of course, ten years later, you've had a lot of practice. Do you yes. think it's, you know, has it become much easier for you to do these? Are they almost to the point where they're, you don't even have to write them down? Or do you still find yourself needing to go back to, you know what, maybe this one I have to write down and go through the steps? So on the little ones, I can, like little thoughts, like little beliefs. But the really entrenched beliefs, like the, I've heard it called like your personal religion, the thing that you really believe, that one I have to go back and do the full process on. So and a lot of it comes down to self-worth. If it's about my self-worth, I have to do the writing process, right? Makes but, sense. It, you know, if I'm, if I am um, have a thought that pops up, like my daughter should pick up her socks off the floor, right? That's a judgment. I can do it in my head really quick, right? I could say, you know, she should not pick up the socks off the floor because she's a teenager. Teenagers don't do anything like that, right? It makes sense. So, and I, I could do it quickly in my mind, like on those ones, because they don't have a lot of um, emotional charge. Yes. Right. But the ones Unless that are. You let them build up, right? Because if you have the thought and then yeah. you're like, whatever, and then the next day is the same and the same, it builds up and then you may have an argument or you may have a fight about it. Yeah, exactly. And the more you do it on paper, like, I think the better you are at it. Right. So I can only do I this now after 10 years. Right. Because exactly. I'll be like, I should pick up the socks because I want the floor to be not cluttered. Right. So why shouldn't I pick them up? And, you know, you, you kind of like pick it up and stop worrying about it. Yeah. And with the, with the people you work with in your coaching business, mm -hmm. uh, I'm assuming you're going through something similar, a method similar for them to, to find their own thoughts and challenge them. How have you seen it work with other people? Are you seeing quite a bit of success with a method or a tool like this? Yeah, it is. If you're open to it, because, um, you know, that first question, is it true? Some people might think, oh, are you calling me a liar? Right. You have to set up that relationship with the person. And then 
um, you know, it takes about 45 minutes and you go through the process and Constantine, you know that even like as an engineer or a technical person, you change one thing in a system, the whole system changes, right? Yes, exactly. Change so, one variable, change. Exactly. Lot. So what you're doing by, by giving them these other thoughts that could be truer than the first thought and the ones that you're giving them are more peaceful and are more like real, then they, their mind will never go back to where they started. So you have to set up that trust first because you have to get them to the space where they're like, okay, maybe my thought is not true. And people are very attached to their thought. Um, I mean, it's, you're, it's almost like you're attacking their inner self, right? Like who they are, who they believe or what they believe in. Yes. And, yeah. And what you said makes so much sense because I've seen from my work as a consultant in the tech world, but even as a coach or mentor mm -hmm. in the various parts is when you start challenging beliefs or a thought process, that's when you see real benefit on the other side, because I don't need to get you to change. I just need to get you to think about the alternatives or the options you didn't know about. It's kind of like that idea, you don't know what you don't know. And it happens to me all the time as well. It's like, I may have not considered option B and C, and all of a sudden you're guiding me to consider those. And I'm like, oh yeah, you know what? And like you said, I cannot go back now because it's like, I cannot close the door. I know yeah. the option B and C is there. Yeah, so I'll share you a, a little example of somebody I was helping yes. with this process, and it'll resonate with both of us. So it was a young person, uh, 19 years old, and they had gone through one, two years of engineering university, and then they didn't want to continue. So they, they couldn't handle the, the school, and you know it's just after COVID. There's a lot of factors, and so they're on a gap year. So the thought was, I'm a failure because I couldn't finish my degree. Right? That's a pretty heavy thought. Right? It is. So and I would, we, say, would you say that's a normal thought too for people to have in this scenario? Right? Because yeah, yeah there's yeah, a lot happening. Yeah, because you, you know, you set off to university, you want to get that engineering degree, and now you're scrapping two years and you got to figure out something else. It's not many people will be like, no big deal. I'll just keep going. Yeah. I'll figure out my path. Not at 19, right? So you, sometimes you, you wouldn't. So anyway, this person in particular and other people may have had a different thought was I'm a failure because I didn't finish my degree. Mm -hmm. So we went through the process. Is it true? Yes. Can you absolutely know it's true? Yes. Who are you with this thought? I feel miserable. Who would you be without the thought? I'd, well, I'd be happy. And anyway, this is a very a short condensed version. We yes. would have to put in all the works, right? But the turnaround ended up being, I'm not a failure because I didn't finish my degree. And I said, okay, what's the evidence? Well, I didn't waste four years of tuition. I didn't get into a career I hated, right? You and so now you can see how true these thoughts are now, right? And they start taking away the, the, the um, charge of the first thought. Yeah. So anyway, I, I will continue, but there is, there is a very powerful thought. I'm a failure if, and I, I bet you many of us could fill in the blank after the if for our, our, our own scenario, mm -hmm. right? But imagine you can turn around a thought like I'm a failure to I'm a success or I'm not a failure in 45 minutes. So that's a, that's a yeah. Question. Yeah. You're unleashing and the what, truth. So what happened after that? So as you say, challenging that, what was the reaction? Did it take them days Weeks or like you said, only just 45 minutes and now 45 the minutes. brain was rewired. Yeah, brain was rewired because 
Here's the thing. Once you drop the I'm a failure thought, now you have a mind that's open to possibilities. Like maybe you could be excited about what about a different career or I get a chance to take a break and that's not a bad thing. Or, you know, then you can start to see possibilities because you're not, you know, have you have this one thought sort of bl- putting blinders on you. Yeah. Exactly. yeah. So and you feel like... a lightness of spirit, I would say. Yes. There's a lightness of spirit. You're like lighter without that thought so heavy on you. Yeah, without those thoughts, especially, you know, one of the things I learned later in life is the idea of a growth mindset, which is the idea of not looking at failures, like in this example, or challenges as being defining of who you are as a person, but more as lessons that will teach you valuable information about life or whatever project you're on and then move on. So it sounds like this is kind of touching into that area where the more you rewire your thoughts, the more growth-minded you are because now you're thinking about how I can use my own information to grow as a person and, and go beyond. Exactly. And um, this just gives you a step-by-step method that is repeatable and produces the same results every time, which, again, we also love as engineers. Right? Exactly. Right? <laughs> yeah. it's like, and it's yeah. something you can always use in your life, like you said, right? So the more practice you have, the, the easier it becomes. Mm-hmm. And some become instant. Some will take some time and you can go exactly. through it. Yeah. Now, kind of building on that idea just a bit, let's say, I'm assuming you've had on the flip side, people that were challenging that. So let's say you get to a point where like in your own life or with a a client, Mm -hmm. when you challenge an idea and then at the end, you still can't get to the other side. Have you had scenarios like that where you're like, this is the belief and then you prove that the belief is actually correct? I have had that because, again, depending on the person and their level of being open to things, they don't want to accept a different thought, right? Because they've no. they've come to that. And but in, even in that case, even the smallest little turnaround and example of a of a of a version of the truth that's different than the original one, it does lessen the truth. Sometimes the belief just doesn't evaporate, but it's a little bit lighter. Exactly. And and you know, in coaching, you always meet your client where they are. And um, sometimes it just maybe that will seed will be planted and it will bloom later. Well, it's, it's, it's a perfect example of how your seeds were planted to, to bring you where you are today, right? Yeah. The first, the dream, and then with your daughter at school and then the yoga. Same, I would say it's a very similar idea. That's yeah. Yeah. You can't see the path except when you look back sometimes. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so no, I mean, I, that's, that's, I think that's something that everyone in the audience can... Yeah. Maybe try once and see, hey, does it work? If it doesn't, okay. You know, like you said, the idea or the seed might be there. And so yoga kind of, I guess it sounds like that first experience you had put you on a path to maybe look more at meditation. Can we talk a bit about yeah. that? And I know you had a beautiful retreat you did for a few days. Yeah. So we're going to spoil it for the audience before you tell it. But yeah, I'll pass it over to you. Sure. So right about that time I was, I did the yoga and I started coaching. I started to notice that my tech workplace started talking about mindfulness at work. And I was like, okay, this sounds way more fun than client projects, you know, because by that point in parallel, I was facing a lot of like um, challenges at work because my values and my integrity seemed to be challenged by the workplace, right? We were sometimes, I felt that we were not being honest with clients about project dates. Like saying, yeah, we could deliver it. And then we signed the contract and no, we're not going to deliver it. I did I did not feel good being part of that kind of sales and delivery sort of over promise, under deliver. 
Like I felt they've had to give my word. And I was always honest with clients. I was like, we can't deliver that. And uh, then the executives would get mad at me. And, uh, you know, so uh, anyway, so when I, when I was a bit disillusioned with my workplace and thinking, okay, I cannot bring my, my own values to work, but I need to make an income and mindfulness at work seemed to be like, like a wonderful thing because I could find something at work that I could really enjoy. So I got right in there. I, I started being part of the, the little pod that we had. And I started like, you know, teaching mindfulness at work. I started participating in some of the mindfulness sessions and then I started leading them and people were like, you're leading them. We love it. And I was like, oh my gosh, how can I be a mindfulness leader at work? (laughs) (laughs) This is way too weird. And it was so out of my comfort zone, but again, it just felt right. So I started teaching mindfulness at work. And then in parallel, as I was enjoying my career and adding these, you know, amazing components, I started working with a project involving Indigenous youth. I started coaching. I was starting to get my dream job. What happened was I think the biggest unleasher of myself of all time came. And that ended up being situational depression caused by my work. So um, these these uh, wonderful work experiences, ironically, put me in a position where I felt like I couldn't be in integrity with my end client. And it, it sort of broke me inside. Like there were so many things happening at work that were against my inner values that I just, I started to get depressed. I can't even tell you why, because I don't even understand it, but I started to get depressed and I got depressed to the point that I couldn't work anymore. As a child of immigrants and you know, my parents were like, fine, you want to be a doctor, be an engineer. But the idea was you're always working and you're always making money. And now I couldn't work. And it was like a huge identity break in myself. And so without my work identity, without my career identity, without my mind, like my mind was not working like it should. And to a person like me, losing your mind's functionality was like a big deal. Um, Right. So then there, there came this point where I just said, I don't know how to live my life anymore. Like I just give up. I surrendered. And I think this, I remember looking at, I had finally gotten antidepressants from my doctor. I was looking at the bottle and I was thinking, I don't know if my life will ever be the same because I don't know what this medication will do to me. But I surrender to not knowing what to do. And I'm like a can-do person. Like I get things done. I find solutions. And here I'm saying, I don't know what to do. I surrender to just having no idea. And I think in that moment of surrender, I cleared the space of Sunita knowing what to do. The mm-hmm. Sunita who knew what to do in her life was gone. She was gone. And in so the you could absence- listen to your intuition or the universe talking to you or allowing other voices to come in. Yeah. And this is only in retrospect because at the time mm-hmm. I was just a mess. I had no idea. But all I knew is that Sunita wasn't there. Yeah. And, you know, I think it opened up the space to just say, I don't know what to do with my life and I don't know how to get better. So I I just by chance found a mindfulness retreat online and it was with a group from Toronto and they practiced together and they were going to Midland, which is two hours north of Toronto for a weekend retreat for a five day silent retreat. And it was starting in a day or two and registration was closed. But something inside me said, email that I I sent an email and I said, you know, if you have a spot, I'd like to come. And 
they emailed back and said, we had a couple cancellations, so you can come. And so I went, I said, okay. And they were like, there wasn't even enough time to send the check. So they just said, pay when you get here. So now I'm going for five days to a place I don't know with a bunch of people I have no idea in a Buddhist retreat, which I didn't know what that was because I was practicing secular mindfulness at work. Mm-hmm. And this was, you know, obviously it's in the Buddhist tradition of Thich Nhat Hanh. And it was silent, which I'd never been any kind of awake period of my life so for that long right not hours on end so anyway in the I just went I listened to that voice I said it just said go I don't know I just went and and my husband's like I hope they're not a cult or axe murderers (laughs) like I'll text you when I get there (laughs) I mean assuming they let me use my phone which they didn't take away the phone but they discouraged you from reading or listening to podcasts or being on your phone, right? Mm -hmm. So they wanted all of that stimulus away. So it was in this tradition of Thich Nhat Hanh, I would say it's all about compassion and what he calls interbeing. So a lot of the practices were about settling into your body, connecting to nature, connecting to the others. You know, there, there was a whole agenda. But it was when I went to have an interview with the leader And she said, Sunita, like I had 15 minutes and I would just talk to her and I didn't know what I would talk to her about. But she she was a practicing Buddhist meditator. And I think in the space of her compassion, in her presence, the way she was able to just bring her attention into the room and onto me, my inner child felt safe enough to finally come to the surface after all of these awakenings and say, there was a problem in our childhood and, you know, we need to talk about this. Otherwise we're never going to be healed. Yes. Wow. Right? What, a, what a beautiful story. Yeah. It's just amazing. So I just started talking to her and I don't know where the words are coming from. And she said, no, I told her about work. Actually. Yes. I told her about work. Cause I didn't know what else to talk about. And I said, you know, I got depressed and all these horrible things happened. And she said, Sunita, why do you feel like you have to take care of people? And that was the question. And so I don't want to give it away, but as a child, I felt like I had to take care of somebody who was getting very, very hurt physically. And I had repressed that memory. I didn't realize that there was a physically violent scenario I was in as a child, and I felt like I had to protect others I'm a small child. How how can you protect, you know, from violence? But I obviously felt that way. And I carried that all through my adult life. Everybody at work, my team, I felt like I had to protect them to the point that I depleted myself so much. Is that any, any, and you thought of that a subconscious level, right? Because you're never aware of the fact never that aware of it. you're going out of your way to protect people or, or those around you. Yeah. And then after the interview with her, I went back to the, to the cabin. We were staying in these gorgeous cabins right in the woods. The trees were all around. And um, I started writing in my journal. And what came out was a letter from my four-year-old self, I believe. And as I was writing, the memory started coming back. You know, it was, dear big Sunita, you know, this is what happened. We were standing here and this was happening and a whole letter poured out. Wow. Just yeah. Through. Yeah. 
Actually, it was Dear Little Sunita. I was right. I can't remember how I was writing it, but I'm just like, I'm so sorry for what happened to you as a little child. And, you know, it, it was like I was having a conversation with a part of myself I didn't know. And that was the healing. That was the connection that needed to happen. And for my inner child to know that I'm okay and I've got this and I'm not going to let anything bad happen to us. And yeah, so that was the big unleash moment to answer your very first question. Yeah, I mean, wow, yeah. what a story. That's, and I can relate to that because when I was in my seat last year, I had very similar moments, not to this extent. And I just began my work with my inner child. And it's something that, like, if we, if we had this conversation a year ago, I would think, for lack of a better word, I would say, wow, she sounds a bit crazy. <laughs> right? It's like, because we're so judgmental, like we, without really thinking about it, because we have these beliefs. And then all of a sudden, it takes a bit of being open minded and, and understanding, having your own experiences to really understand these amazing things that other people are going through. And then they can then inspire you to, to go even deeper and deeper. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I, and I wonder now, Constantine, if all the little things like the dream, pouring love dream and the yoga and then the depression that led me to retreat, if they weren't just all cracking me open a little bit, a little bit, a little bit till I was cracked open enough for, for this truth to come out. And I really believe when you understand the true reality of things, like I, I didn't remember my childhood, that that truth does set you free, like the, the saying goes. Yes, absolutely. I 100% agree with you, 100%. Yeah. So that was just at the beginning of the five-day retreat, right? Like that, yes, that and that was in 2018. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah that, was, that was just the day two, I think, the of two, the retreat. Yeah. yeah. And did you have more, like, more of those episodes, like, while you were there or after the build up on it? No, it was, I just started a conversation with my inner child. Like, I would go on a walk, and I remember it was snowing, and I was walking through the woods, and um, I, I never would have done this ever before. But I said to my inner child, oh, you've never seen snow before because I came to Canada when I was seven, right? So my four-year-old self would have not. I'm like, this is snow. And I threw a snowball. <laughs> you know, so it just kind of really made me realize that there's a part of me that needs to feel safe. You know, safety is so important. If you don't feel safe, you're going to feel fear. And when you feel fear, you don't, you make limited decisions and have limited thoughts. So part of that retreat was always about how do I have a sense of safety and connection? And the true reality is that we're all one being like these separate selves are sort of an illusion. It's real, but it's not real at the very same time, mm -hmm. you know, and I can rest in that truth and I can sort of come back home to my true self. The part of me that was there before I was born, the part of me that was going to be there after this body dies. I think the idea is I can be connected to that true self at any time in my life. I don't have to wait for the end. Oh, what a message. That's, yeah. I can yeah. agree with that as well. That's pretty much the same message I got through my journey last year. And we had such different journeys to get to a similar message and understanding that the other day we're just using your words here that being spiritual beings, having a human experience, right? Being here to to grow ourselves, right? Like to use a, I, I used to be a gamer, right? Yeah. Level up, right? We yes. always play the game. You got to level up, level up. And that's how I say it as well. We're here to level up ourselves and then move on and level up some more. And, and, and 
in the leveling up is also to bring others together with you. Because personally, I don't believe that you can level up alone. And it sounds like you're seeing the same thing, right? That's why you're coaching. That's why you're helping others because yeah. you've gone through quite a, you know, some interesting and amazing experiences. And now you want to share some of your learnings and findings with others and help them on their journey. Yeah. Yeah. Cause we are all, it's all love out there. And I think one of the things that keeps me on track is that when I know that everything is love and we're all connected, then I'm in the spiritual being. Yes. When I'm angry, afraid, judgmental, or doing, you know, sad, any of these other feelings, then I'm in the human experience. So I have to, in meditation, when I come into the present moment, that's when I ground back to the spiritual being. So it's, it's, it's a, it's a constant moving. Like I, I'm human, but when it gets painful or it gets unhappy, I have to go, all right, time to bring the spiritual part of me into the picture and she will balance things out. Mm -hmm. so, so speaking of meditation, when did you truly start looking at meditation as a way to, to do this, to bring more of your spiritual self back and find a balance essentially to the human experience, the spiritual experience and having them coexist. I think for sure it was on that retreat because I had been mm -hmm. so careful to keep things secular in practicing meditation or mindfulness. We didn't even call it meditation at work. We called it mindfulness. Yes. Right. Because the word meditation seems like too religious. So we called it mindfulness. And then at the retreat, it was meditation. One of the practices in that retreat was called touching the earth. And it, it's a beautiful practice where you, you know, you stand and, and then you prostrate and you bring your forehead to the ground. I'm not going to do it justice, but this is as I remember it. You, you sit there and you say, you think about all your ancestors. And I think Thich Nhat Hanh says, you know, you look over your left shoulder and there are all the good things every ancestor has ever done. And you look over the other shoulder and there are all the bad things all your ancestors have ever done. And you're going to just bring them all together in your heart and you put it back into the earth because the earth, she can receive all, all kinds of energy. And then you bring back goodness from the earth. Right. So here I am, I'm, I'm releasing all the negative pain and hurt for all my ancestors, like the ones who crossed the ocean on slave ships, who were beaten on the plantations, who were, you know, raped or whatever happened to them, taking all that pain, I'm pouring it into the earth and I'm bringing the best back into myself. Right. And uh, that's only one of the meditations. Yes. There's eating meditation, there's walking meditation, so many different meditations, but all the point of that med every single meditation is about feeling peace and love, right? So that's where I truly practice, started practicing meditation. And then when the pandemic hit in 2020, I started meditating every morning for 20 minutes. And, and that's that when, yeah, and that, I still do that now because that makes my whole, I saw the results for myself. Like I was more at peace during the day. I handled the stress of the pandemic so well, like I wasn't freaking out like I normally would. I could see myself freaking out. Like I would go to the store and go, oh my God, I have to buy all this food. And then I'm like, no, no, you don't have to. Everything will be fine. But it was that morning meditation that could keep me grounded. And that 20 minutes a day helps, helps me to just remember my spiritual self and bring that into the human situations that come up.
Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, that sounds like an amazing practice. And it's something that I keep hearing over and over. I mean, personally, I am interested in learning more about meditation and, and doing it. And my idea of meditation is that anytime you're alone with yourself and with your thoughts and don't allow too many things to come in, could be a meditation. So for me, when I walk my dogs outside, I go through, let's say, a park or a forest when there's not a lot of distraction. I almost feel like I'm in a meditative state yeah. because I can just enjoy the nature what my dogs are doing without necessarily thoughts about what's for dinner or what's for work tomorrow or what happened yesterday. And it also sounds like from your experience, you gave examples of different meditations that you had to do in the retreat. It's almost like the tools that people can use and see which one works for them because there's so many different ones. From my experience, I don't think, or I don't believe that one specific tool meditation, I say, will work for everyone, but there are so many that you can try different ones and see what works for you. Yeah. And, and you'll know which one works for you because you'll have that sense of peace and connectedness, mm. like when you walk your dogs. Right. So, yes. right. So I think I any, I think petting a dog, walking a dog, playing with a dog, you're going to, you're going to be in the present moment. Right. They're just Absolutely. wonderful. Right. And then my husband is a, is a, like a, a private pilot. So he says when he's up in the air and it's just him and the plane and those mm. dials, he's like, I'm meditating because yeah. You know, that's his meditation, right? And just like I would walk- be up in the plane terrified, but he's up there peaceful. <laughs> in, his, in his own element, right? But yeah. it's almost like the idea of the word meditation and the word spiritual, right? Let's say those two words. Yeah. People get hung up on, oh, it has to mean one thing, but really it means different things for different people. Yeah. And, you know, what spiritual means to you, Sunita, or to me, or to our audience, it doesn't really matter because we can all have our own interpretations of it. And guess what? None of them are wrong. Like no. it's whatever we feel and the same meditation, right? So if for me, meditation is walking in the park and then adding five minutes in the morning, five minutes at night, perfect. You might, like you said, you might do it 20 minutes in the morning yeah. and that's yeah. it. Others may do it, you know, never or when before sleep and that's fine. And I, I really like yeah. that. Yeah. And you can build it in. Like I build it into folding the clothes. Like I, when I have a, ba- a laundry basket, I will just stop and do nothing, but just really focus on folding each t-shirt you know, pairing the socks. And yeah, it's 10 minutes and my mind could have been in other things and I could have been having a conversation, but just that, just being just with the clothes and doing that one thing with my full attention, it, it brings you to the present moment and the present moment is where your spiritual self is. Yes. And what do you do if, if thoughts try to come in and intrude while you're doing that? Because I imagine it takes a bit of practice to get to a point where you can, you can be just focused on the moment. Yeah. So you just watch the thought. Like all of this is about being the watcher. So if you can, this is how I think of it. So the spiritual self is the watcher and the human self is the doer or the thinker. Mm. So if you can just be the watcher of the human self, then that, that human self could be having a million thoughts a minute, but you're just watching them happen. Right? So it actually, it, it, it's actually a good focal point if you have a lot of thoughts because you're just watching them. Oh, I just, I just had a thought about dinner tomorrow. Oh, I just had a thought about I didn't write this email that I should have. And you're just, you, it's very subtle, but you've just changed your point of view from the person having the thought to the person seeing that you're having the thought. Okay. It's called like a metacognition. Okay, so okay, the cognition yes. is you're having the thought, 
But a metacognition is you know you're having the thought, right? So you're making the thought pass, right? You're not entertaining it. You're not challenging it. You know, it comes and goes and... Yeah. So let me tell you, Constant, I wanted to be an engineer because I love to just try everything out for myself, right? So you can try this. You can't have a thought for a long time. Like if you try to have one thought for more than a few seconds, it's good. Another thought will come in, right? (laughs) And I think they say you can't have an emotion for longer than 90 seconds. So these things are very short lived. So just watch them and they will change. You can't hold on to a thought. I've tried it. I've tried. Yeah, that's something, something I'm going to try tonight. Yeah, you have to try it for yourself, Please right? If I do it now, I'm going to take away yeah, from, yeah, <laughs> from the you know, it doesn't, it doesn't, These are very ephemeral things. Like, they do not last long. The thought rises up and it falls away. Mm-hmm. It rises up and it falls away. So yeah, it's just, not something you think about, it. right? No, it's not something you it. think about until you know about it. Yeah. yeah, it's like watching waves on the ocean, right? The waves come in, they come in, they come in. You can watch your thoughts. But something about putting yourself in that point of view it will open up a spiritual dimension. And like Absolutely. you said, you can you can put yourself as the watcher in many different ways. You can watch your dogs. You can watch yourself flying a plane. You could watch yourself holding clothes. You could just watch your thoughts in meditation on a cushion. Yeah, and as, as you as you think of it, I'm trying to relate, and I, I can absolutely relate. I mean, a lot of, like, even when I first had the thought of starting this podcast, which was last August in 2022, yeah. I remember almost having an auto body experience or like I was in a car driving back with my friend and I could almost see myself having the conversation with her. It's like watching myself, watching my human self have the conversation. And I have that type of sensation often in life, especially with key moments when you make some big decisions or some big changes, when you can watch yourself do things. And I can, now I can truly understand what they might mean the way you explain it. It's it's, yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and there's so much peace there, peace, love, and freedom. It's it's right there when you're just sitting watching what's unfolding in the universe, whether it's your own thoughts or, you know, a sunset or whatever it is. You just watch it. And yeah, because you're, you're not bringing judgment in anymore, right? You're not bringing action or the need for action. You're yeah. just, hey, okay, this is kind of going by and that's it. Now, do you find yourself when you, at least at the beginning maybe, so you have these thoughts, they go by, you watch them. Do you see them? Like, let's say your meditation ends. Now they're all coming, rushing back in. So you deal with them or it's more like they come as they, they're needed. Because I'm thinking because you watch them, you haven't dealt with them. It's almost like they would come in fast and furious and be like, well, we got to deal with this. No, it's literally noise. <laughs> Those okay. thoughts are just noise. They're just noise and you just watch them and they go away for me anyway. And yeah. I find now with the with the few years of, meditation practice, what happens is I get to a place where they sort of turn down the volume. And then there's just a sort of, you know, just a a very warm and welcoming emptiness that I feel at home. I feel is my real home. That place I said before I was born and where I'll go after the body mm-hmm. dies, I feel like I can connect to that, what I call my true home. Thich Nhat Hanh calls going back to your true home. And when I go there, sometimes the thoughts will be a problem, something I'm struggling with in my life. Like, you know, maybe my, maybe my job is difficult or something's. And what will happen is a voice will come in and I will hear a message. Like I wrote about this on a LinkedIn article, but one of the messages was I, I had a really difficult job. And the voice just said, it's not quitting, it's beginning. 
because I didn't want to quit my job in, in a pandemic, right? Yes. Who so you began your journey. Yeah. And that's what the voice says. It's not quitting. It's beginning. And I came out of the meditation and I'm like, I'm going to resign. That's it. And I'm not going to have another job for the first time in my life. I'm going to leave a job without having one lined up, which was very scary for me. But that voice was so powerful that there was no fear for me. Yeah. So it kind of goes back to your point before. It's like listening to yourself almost because yes. you remove the noise and you listen to your true self. Be yes. from the heart, from the body, from, you know, the gut, whatever you might, or, whatever. you know, higher self, right? Yes, exactly. And it could be that four-year-old. It could be, uh, like, I don't know, like, those words came without a voice. They were voiceless words. Constant. I don't know how else to say it, but it was very clear. I know it's what you mean. It's not quitting, it's beginning. And, and I was like, whoosh, I was released from being stuck. You were like, given an answer, myself. right? You are yeah. given an answer, essentially, because you're, like, struggling with this question, because of your background, right? Like you, you're talking yeah. about how you grew up, the expectations on you, yeah. your own desires to be someone fidgeting with engineering. So you quit. And I'm assuming that's when you began your essentially full-time coaching and maybe when you started writing the book as well. Yeah, I, I, I'm not in full-time coaching yet. I do it just as a, a very side thing. I'm a full-time consultant. Full-time okay. consultant, yeah. But when I, when I left that job, I took four months off. It was last summer and I finished the book. Because I had no idea how to finish this book. And in that in that four months off of just not having work to think about, the, the end of the book sort of wrote itself. You know, so I needed that space. And, uh, and then, you know, honestly, it just being a consultant makes more reliable money. And I, and I went back inside myself and I said, you know, I want to be a coach. I want to follow my heart but I also need a reliable income. So what makes sense at this time? And the voice again just said, you know, just go to work and, you know, do do the other things on the side for now. Yeah. And then, I mean, being a consultant also reminds me, aligns with what you said earlier, the idea that before you weren't in control of projects being oversold and under-delivered, right? Because you're not, but now being a consultant, I imagine you have a lot more control over this. Yes. So it can align with your core mission, your purpose. So yes. you can say no or yes, depending on the beauty of it. Yeah, I like that a lot. That yeah. It makes sense. And you know what the, I use the freedom of being a consultant is, is to speak the truth at work. Because I do. I don't worry about the politics. And I will say this project is not going to be successful. <laughs> and you yeah. know what I mean? I'm not worried about well, what would my manager say? Am I going to get a good review? Am I going to get my bonus? Or, you know, I'm not thinking about that because as a consultant that that's off the table, right? You just, you make exactly. your hourly rate. So now I can, I can say things like, no, I'm not going to do that. Yeah. Or I'm not going to put that on. I'm not going to make the status report green because it's spread. Yeah, you know? I believe, I would imagine that makes you feel very empowered too, because now you're making the choices and you're living with your true self. I am. I am. And I've been in many, many different workplaces as a consultant in the last few years, like maybe, maybe six or seven, right. you know, some some shorter contracts, longer ones. And everywhere I go, there's always one or two people who are feeling really dejected at work. And I and I find them and I I just, you know, I say, hey, this really sucks what you're going through. And they were like, thank you for saying that because I thought it was all in my head. And I'm like, no, this is really hard what you're going through. Mm -hmm. And that is enough. Like 
that connection, that human connection and being back in the world of work, it's, it's enough because you just, you just bring light to one situation at a time. It doesn't matter how it happens, but yeah, it, I feel like that's what I'm called to do right now is to just show up in the work, show up as myself, be, be a person of compassion to those who need it and speak the truth. Which, you know, the, I'm listening to, to your words and what you're saying. And it's, to me, it's so beautiful because, A, you're leading by example, right? You're doing what your heart or God is telling you to do and you're following your core purpose and principles. So that's leading by example, which means those that you interact with can be inspired by it and can feel empowered. And not only that, but then you're shining your light on those that are struggling and helping them feel empowered to tackle whatever challenges they have. So, yeah, I mean, it's definitely aligned with everything you've said, and it's it's amazing, right? You don't have you don't have to coach full time to be able to have a massive impact in someone's life. No, and it's all about bringing compassion. Like that's the word that seems to be my word right now is compassion. Compassion to the inner child compassion to even the the leaders that I think are not doing good at work, like that are working people too hard or, you know, bringing in a lot of toxicity to work. I, I still send them compassion. And it's that compassion practice of seeing that we're all one and, and making someone who feels alone and maybe bullied or maybe not recognized and saying, I see you and I care about you. That, that makes such a big difference. That's so powerful. And she resonates so well as well, because one of my epiphanies was the idea that I work with customers, I work with coworkers, I work with students. And at the end of the day, it doesn't matter if you're a customer or a, or a client, or let's say a, a coworker, you're just a human being with your own issues, with your own family, with your own insecurities, with your own inner child, right? Wounded or yeah. not. Who am I to judge just because you're a certain way? I don't really know your history. So like you, to your point, like let's bring some empathy. Let's bring some compassion and understand that we're all trying to make the best of this life and be on our journeys. And some people are farther along than others, but the best we can do is just be more understanding, be more compassionate. I love that word and the way you use that and bring empathy along. It, it is true. And uh, when you're really connected to the present moment, I can even do what when the time comes to draw a firm boundary and what I call f- what um, uh, Kristen Neff calls fierce self-compassion is to stand up and not take any wrong, like not not take wrongdoing in the in the workplace or in personal life. So I have set boundaries and I have said I need to stop working with this individual because I'm not being respected. Like mm. put me in a different project. And you know, how do you find people answering that? Because I'm assuming it's not an easy conversation. Maybe for you, it's easy because you've gotten used to it, but someone receiving that message, they might be taken back, I would imagine at the beginning. Yeah. Or... Oh yeah. Yeah. They, they don't want to hear it because again, you're a consultant, right? You're supposed to put up with anything, <laughs> you know, they, they have their own agenda and things to do and they don't, they don't want more work on their plate to rearrange or rejuggle something. But you have I, like I'm. I I hate arguing. I hate, I hate when there's friction or tension. Like I don't like those things. But now I realize that to protect that inner child, I have to be like that. And that's what gets my mindset going. Is to say, okay, I'm going to be firm. Like, would I do this for my daughter if I needed yeah. to stand up for? Yeah, I would. So would I do it for my inner child? Yes, I would. Because if I'm at peace and if I keep my peace at work, I'm going to bring that person home to my family. 
right? My blood pressure will be better. My mental health will be better, right? So I've got to think the bigger game and I have to think my mindset to say, I'm not, I'm going to go in there and yeah, I'll, I'll work with them and try and find workarounds. But if it comes down to it, I'll walk away from the job if I have to. Yeah, because like you could have the mentality which most of us, unfortunately, me included, have, which is like, oh, this isn't the short term. I need to put up with this behavior or this person because he needs to get a project across the line or he pays my salary. But you put it so nice that you have a choice, right? Will you let this impact the rest of your life? Yeah. Or are you going to make a stand? Now, I would, I would imagine if, let's say we had this conversation, I came to you with this problem and I'm not a consultant, I'm working a regular job. Would you believe that it would be tougher for me to have a conversation like you have with people? Because not being a consultant means you have a different risk profile and you have, it's easy, it's harder to move team members around. Or do you still encourage your clients that go through this to stand up and say, you know what, this is what I believe. This is not correct. And let's push, push a bit. So there's, there's, what I've learned in my journey is there's so much you can do in your inner world without anything on the outer world changing. You can have the same, you know, work situation. You can have the same manager because, you know, we leave managers. We don't leave the workplace. Exactly. Right? You can have that same manager and, you know, maybe they're a wounded child too. We don't know and we don't, it doesn't matter. If you go inside and say, what's the issue that's really bothering you and you can heal that then you're going to come to work a different person. And there's something about it, Constantine, like once you stand in your truth more firmly, then people treat you differently. It's you almost know? like your energy that you're giving off. Yeah. More authentic and more empowering, right? So then people, people yeah. will, will respect you more. I can definitely see that. Yeah. Um, and, and I know there's a um, whole thing about manifesting. I haven't figured it out yet. I'm not exactly sure about it, but I think when you stand in different energy, you attract different things. Exactly. Right. So there's I've, something about that. Absolutely. I've started to, to kind of play in the field as well and learn more. Yeah. And I, I see it more and more in my life when I'm staying more true to myself, following my mission, following my purpose, all of a sudden more things start to materialize, like the universe lines things up. Because now I'm more true to myself and I'm not having a conflicting message where my mind says something and my heart really feels something else. Yes. Yeah. And then disalignment. Exactly. And you set your intention for what you want to unfold. Like you want it to be peaceful, not harmful to your health. And then when things happen, they don't have the same charge. Like they just don't land the same way. You know, and then, and then, like I said, the last measure is when you have to just say, no, I'm not going to do that because it's, it's harmful to my health. Yeah. yeah. And I'm, I'm, I'm like a person who has had depression. Like I have had depression, but now I'm very careful not to go back to the factors that could trigger my depression. Like, so I'm a recovered person from depression, but I have to take good care. If I had skin cancer, right, I wouldn't be going into the sun without protection. Exactly. Right? You would wear a hat, you would wear sunscreen if you've had skin cancer in the past. So I've had depression in the past, so I can't put myself into what I know are triggers for that depression, which are another thing I talk about, which are the 13 psychological safety factors in the workplace. So we have psychological safety factors. I didn't know this. We have there's 13 of them defined by CSA, Canadian Standards Group Association. 
And they've been, the research has shown that if you don't have these factors, they can be a contributor to, to mental health, mental illnesses. Okay. So well, there's 13 of them. That's quite a bit. Yeah. More so than I would think. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, if you go into a workplace that could harm you, right, you're going to put on safety gear, you're going to take safety training, you're going to take safety precautions. But we go into a workplace without understanding what psychologically could harm us. And it's it's interesting you mention this because I just had a thought. It's like thinking back at my university years, taking math, engineering, computer science, back to high school, both in Canada and Romania. You'd never have this type of conversations. You don't have a class on mental health. Unless you take a psychology major yeah. or minor, you rarely have these conversations. And you it's don't. not yeah, it's not something that anyone preaches not preaches, but like educates people on. Yes. And you probably had safety training on hazardous chemicals and how to handle them. Oh, right? yeah. If you have you a know, chemistry or, or going on yeah. a plant floor with heavy machinery, right? You've had exactly. that kind of yeah. So, but they don't train you on this. And, this, you know, the ironic thing is, is our schooling system, especially in engineering and, and uh, I think medicine, is the way they teach you is harmful to your mental health. Like they just put so much stress on you, right? They, they overload you with courses and assignments that you can't get done. And no one says, hey, here's how you can protect your mental health while get, getting your degree. Yeah. And I think that's a message that hopefully the world will wake up to because it's the same idea in the in the workplace. Like 10 years ago, there wasn't a lot of discussion about mental health in the workplace. Now there's a lot more. Sure, there's a long way to go still, right? I think they barely scratch the surface in many organizations. Mm-hmm. But hopefully that will trickle down into the education system. And through a podcast like this and the yeah. amazing work you do in speaking out and, and having impact, hopefully we can bring awareness to people that are younger of age, right? The new generations, be it university or even high school, and then they could say, you know what, maybe I want to learn more about this. Because in university, you do have electives, but even those are not guided enough to be like, yeah, maybe we should take an elective on mental health in university or mental health in the workplace. No, they, they don't. And they, they should. And I, I'm, I'm doing a series on LinkedIn where I'm talking about one of the 13 factors every couple of weeks. So I want to let people know that here's the factor and here's how it's linked to psychological safety. And speaking of LinkedIn, what's what's your username there for people to be able to find you if they want to yeah. know more? It's Sunita Alves, my first and last name. Perfect. There we go. Yeah. And I'll have it in the show description so yeah. everyone can find you. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Now we've had an amazing conversation. There's so many more things I want to ask you <laughs> and so many directions, but yeah. I know we've had quite a bit of time. I do want to ask you two questions in conclusion, mm-hmm. which are separate from what we've talked about. And the first one will be, let's say you can go back in time 10 years. So they'll put you kind of around 2013 when you had your first experiences. Yeah. What advice would you give your younger self? So you can go back in time old you to younger you and it can give yourself one piece of advice i would say to that younger self to just become more aware of mental health like mm. i became aware of mental health when i lost it in 2018 right but if i could have understood the signs of what depression is and understood that depression is an illness right because i had some of the stigma as well i mean I'm, i i do believe it's an illness but you know, I didn't really realize like it's, it's real illness. So I listened to a podcast and, and this little snippet said it all. It said, when, if you, if you have cancer, or your child has cancer, people will bring you a casserole. 
But if you have depression or your child has depression, no one will bring you a casserole. Exactly. Right. So I I wish I could have gone back and really studied this and be ready for it because the pandemic came. And I think I know I, I had depression. I, I was taking care of my mental health by then, but my kids went through some of that as teenagers in high school. And I could have just been, you know, I, I just wish I had learned about it more. Like exactly. you said, you know, I taught myself because school is not teaching you. Workplace exactly. is not teaching you. It's a very important yeah. message. And almost like it goes back to the example you gave. Like if you walk on the factory floor, you got to wear the boots and the hat mm-hmm. because the, the dangers are obvious, right? Like you can see them all. That machine can crush me. Or, you know, if something falls down, can hurt me. But when it comes to mental health, it's not visual. It's not tangible. So that's why it's harder, I, I believe, for people to really wrap their head around it. Yeah. I would have, I would have protected myself much more at work had I known. Yeah, had had that invisible hard hat on yes. for mental health. Yes. The, the, yeah, I like that, yeah. the invisible hard hat. <laughs> now, the second question, kind of in the same theme, right? Instead of going back in time, we're not going to go to the future. Mm-hmm. You're going to get to 10 years in the future. You meet your future self. You're yeah. an amazing consultant, coach. You've helped so many people. And you get a 15-minute mentoring session with your older self. What one piece of insight or advice would you want to bring back <laughs> to the present? Oh, this is this is when I actually I thought of in the book. Remember, I took that summer off and I wrote about it. And I went to a person who is older. It was my grandmother. She's eighty-seven, and I asked her her advice on life. So that would be my older self. I'm I'm going to be sixty in ten years, not eighty-seven, but she's still here. So I said, let me ask her. And her advice was to just love, love everyone right? She just, she wakes up every morning, she prays. And, but her prayer, what she said, because I said, Grandma, how, how, how come you, you pray to both Jesus and the Hindu gods? Like, how come both? And she said, mm-hmm. well, in Guyana, we had missionaries and they taught us about Lord Jesus. And so I pray to both, but she goes, it doesn't matter if you pray. All you have to do is do good in your life. Be mm-hmm. kind to others. And, and cause she knows I don't, pray. Like I don't have prayers. I don't go to church. And she does it every morning for like two hours. But she goes, that doesn't matter, Sunita. It doesn't matter if you pray. What matters is if you're a good person and you do good. So well, I a think there's a powerful message. So I take that grandmother wisdom and I know that every day, if I can do something good, if I can be kind to myself or be kind to someone else, then that's, that's what it's all about. doesn't matter bank account, you know, career success, none of it matters. Yes, 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 100%. Well, I, I don't even want to say, I just want to say thank you so much for your time today. <laughs> I've learned a lot. You gave me goosebumps with your stories. Oh. I got emotional at times. This was so beautiful. Oh, and you. in conclusion, before we end, I know you shared your LinkedIn, but if someone wants to learn even more about you or want to talk to you, where can they find you besides LinkedIn? So it's LinkedIn. Probably the best place is my website, which mm-hmm. is alves.com. So first last name.com. And there's a contact form there. And yeah, that's probably the best way. Thank you so much for being with us today. To find out more amazing content and episodes, please visit unleashthyself.com. Or you can find us on social media.